guys welcome back to the 29th ever episode of the mindset effect podcast i'm kevin andrew's here as always co-hosting these episodes and we have an amazing guest today mr spencer cornelia and for those who don't know he runs a youtube channel where he makes videos about real estate his personal journey and does critiques on popular online marketers or as he calls them charlatans and so first of all you know just want to say, you know, I love your authentic or charlatan series. I think it's a huge eye opener for anyone that hasn't really done much research on extremely popular internet personalities, I'd say. And like, I saw your video on, you know, Grant Cardone and Jordan Belfort's, you know, debate and that stuff. And it really changed my opinion on Grant Cardone because I didn't do much research on him before. But it's not to discount, you know, the impact that he's had on me and many others, um, you know, with this constant motivation and, you know, his grit to do better and so yeah um yeah just tell us about you know your journey about how you got to where you are today sure i'm las vegas resident far away from both of you unfortunately Uh, (laughs) but yeah i'm a i'm a real estate investor youtuber i work in for a tech company in software development unfortunately i'm furloughed at the moment Uh, but my company Mm -hmm. did go public on friday wow i have a feeling i'll be going back to work soon um, so yeah, I'm, I'm 29 years old. I've worked really hard in my 20s to kind of build up the kind of momentum I'm experiencing at the moment. It's been really re- rewarding. And the Authentic or Charlatan series that you mentioned, it's been uh, very humbling at how fast it's taken off. For five years, I made videos that no one gave a hoot about. And for finally to have, you know, some videos start to get some traction and then for some to hit 100,000 views, has been very humbling and very, very fun, I must admit. Mm-hmm. Wait, so what did you make videos on before that? Oh man, I was trying a lot of things. So my first video in 2015 was a little skit I made with a girl I was dating at the time. Um, but at that, at that moment, I was really interested in becoming a, like a fitness guru because I, I saw the people out there doing the fitness and I was like, you know, man, I want to be them. Christian Guzman comes to mind. I really liked his channel. And so I started making videos. And after about eight or 10, you know, you kind of finally have that moment where the cognitive dissonance leaves you and you're like, okay, this guy over here makes videos that are really good. And then I'm analyzing my videos and they're not so good. And so I did the, that. That didn't work out. No one gave, no one gave a crap about my fitness videos because I didn't have the big bulging muscles and I didn't do it shirtless, you know? Um, so anyway, then I did a coding boot camp in San Francisco and I noticed that there were no videos really discussing people's personal experiences in the boot camps. And I just, I had time on the weekends. I just figured I'd throw up a video. If you go back and look at them, very, very poor quality, both audio and video. However, I did uh, enough videos to kind of get some attention. I think a lot of people liked them. Those were my first videos that got like a thousand views. (laughs) And uh, so that that took up some time. And then uh, there were a lot of gaps because I just didn't have anything to talk about. So um, by the time I reached Las Vegas and started talking about a little more personal finance, I would would spend time in between making videos. You know, it wasn't very consistent at all. And that's partially why I didn't grow. Um, But yeah, it kind of morphed into real estate, personal finance. Do you think people took... Do you think people took more of a liking to the coding bootcamp stuff because of like the content and the quality or like because it was more of you being like who you actually are rather than trying to be something that maybe you turned out to not be? Hmm. Never really considered that. I do think people liked that it was me in the sense that it was very in the moment. It wasn't me three years later going, oh, you know, I did a bootcamp and here's what to experience. It was very in the moment. Here's because I did a week by week breakdown, essentially. So on that weekend following the week of the boot camp, I did a breakdown of what we learned and uh, what the topics were covering. So I think when people watched them, they finally got the sense like, okay, I get a better understanding of what my experience would be like in the course. And I think that helped the growth a lot. 
Did you ever uh, like expect to get to that size that you have gotten to? Where I'm at right now, I I've always kind of had the thought that I like I had this vision that I could be famous, you know, have like 500,000 subscribers. But there's always a gap, you know, when you're not there. Like, how do you actually get there? And for a long time, I never never knew how that bridge. I never saw the bridge. And thankfully, now I can kind of see it. And so I I think I could get there. So what what is that bridge? Right now, it's, it's pretty clear what my audience wants. And thankfully, I've hit a point now where I've had enough data to really get an idea of, you know, what titles to use, what thumbnails to use, who to talk about, what the topic of the video should be. And that being really a, an objective look at a lot of these internet marketing gurus. And I certainly have a strategy. You know, it's not, it shouldn't be you know, surprising to anyone. I'm looking mm-hmm. at the people with a million subscribers. And, may, you know, you can kind of catch on their, their wave of momentum a little bit, but I just think the, the industry is so full of BS. And I think what I'm doing and CoffeeZilla is another channel, what we're doing is, is really needed for this industry. And I think people really enjoy that like objective look. I'm not here to like expose or I'm not here to, to name names or, you know, like be that teenager in, in high school that's like that guy over there is being mean, you know? So I think that's what's helped my brand kind of be built from not many to at least over 26,000 subscribers now. Mm-hmm. Do you, so like, do you have like an end vision for you mentioned like the whole like fame thing earlier? Like, do you have an end vision of where you want to take this or is it just like, uh, I'm just along for the ride and it's like, whatever happens, happens. It was really validating when Gary Vaynerchuk came out and started preaching about documenting. And I was like, man, I, I've had that vision for four years ago. Like I started this, um, this series called the journey to wealth and I'm, extremely internally confident in myself. I have a feeling I'll reach a point, whatever the numbers are, but some, some type of income numbers that are very impressive. And I knew the value of like documenting it along the way, because at some point, if I do hit, let's just say a million dollars a year in revenue, like how valuable would it be to people to go back and see like every single milestone along the way, starting from zero, you know, you, you, you might watch these interviews of CEOs and it's valuable. You get a 10 minute interview where they discuss their past, but think of how insanely cool it would be if Mark Zuckerberg had videos when he was thinking like, you know, man, we're thinking about this idea of a news feed. We, you know, when you're in the moment, he's got videos like discussing and going through his mindset of how, what features should I come out with? How are people going to respond to this? And to know what Facebook's become, you know, that, that to me mm-hmm. was the value. And that's kind of what I wanted to build is to show like $0 a month income, $2,000 a month income. So that when I do reach the impressive numbers, it'll, it'll have that series of, like truly from the start, I thought that would be valuable. Yeah, I think that's the beauty of, you know, the process of becoming great. I think like if, like in coding, right? Like Git, like you make commits. And if you look at the commit history, like it gives you a rough idea of how an app became what it became today. And I think, I think that's the beauty of it, right? Like I found that for me, like when I'm coding iOS apps, it's all about finding new ways to make things and never giving up in the process. Like if you use any great app, like it's always a delight to experience it in your hands. And it's, and if you really look into how they're made, it's always a bunch of revision on older versions and no one gets it right the first time. And it sounds like pretty simple, that idea, right? But I think the meaning is there and it's powerful. Like you have to ask yourself, how many times are you willing to discard what you have and reiterate to make something new? So it's like letting go of the old to welcome the new. Yeah, like, so 100%. What kind of quality, yeah, what kind of qualities do you think um, people need to become successful in business? 
Let me finish the thought, Andrew, because uh, you asked another question about where I think it's going to go. I never had intentions of being an endpoint. To me, my whole YouTube has just been simply turning on the camera, sharing with the world where I'm at today, and let it just be out there. And I think it's very enjoyable to go back and see. Kind of, it's also like selfishly, it's been a enjoyable. It's kind of like Git, like you mentioned. You can see your commit history and see like, oh man, I remember when I struggled writing that function, and here I am today writing this whole uh, infrastructure. <laughs> Okay, so that question was, uh, what do you think it would take to be successful? I think you yeah, need what kind of qualities some, do, you, do you think yeah, you need? I think, yeah, I think obsession. You have to be like really obsessed mm -hmm. with something, um, truly obsessed. Like if you really think about any, let's just use success as like this vague term, but let's hone it down into, let's just say business success. What uh, business success, hypothetically, let's say let's, you're running a business that makes 100,000 a year right? In order to get that, it's not going to just be a straight line. I don't think anyone ever has had a very simple straight line to that number. And so you're always going to have things that try to knock you off course. You know, uh, teammates might screw you. Business partners might screw you. You might experience a health pandemic where you get, you go unemployed and all of a sudden you don't have money to finish your project, you know, whatever the case may be. But if you, if you have the energy within you to really keep pushing, I think over the a long enough haul, I think it's inevitable that you'll reach some level of success, whatever that term means to you. So I think so it's obsession, what, but I think I, an answer I never really hear talked about and something that Tim Ferriss brought up. So I'm, I'm parroting what he said, but he said one of the best ways to create change in someone in someone's behavior is they need something to lose. And that's really stuck with me for a long time. And you'll see that behavior a lot of times doesn't change until you're pre presenting someone with the option that they have something to lose. Um, this is a, a very common Example of this is people who struggle to lose weight for 10 years. They go to the doctor. The doctor says, look, sorry, you're, you're going to die in three years if you don't change. And then they lose 50 pounds in six months and it was easy, mm -hmm. right? Because they had, they were going to lose their life. And so I think yeah, if, so you, if you, if you analyze your, your current situation, if you can figure out how, you know, if, if, if you're someone that you have nothing to lose, like you're pretty satisfied in life at where you're at. And all of a sudden you want to make a, a jump up. If there's nothing to lose, I think it's extremely challenging to, uh, kind of reach that next peak. Yeah, I like what you said there. Like fear, like theoretically is bad, but in certain situations, like it's good. Like if you're a content creator, like the fear of not keeping up to date with the newest trends, like will prompt you to keep improving and iterating on your content, which is good in the long run. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I think and you, I, you go ahead. I was just going to say, and I think your current situation is uh, going to be a direct response to how you respond to fear, meaning like, if you lose your job, that fear, that energy that you receive from this uh, emotion called fear will help propel you. But if you're stable and you watch the news and you fear that the world's ending and that the housing market's going to crash, you're not really going to change because that fear is going to create like anxiety within you because you're already stable. There's really nothing you need to do to, to get into another you know, level of success. Mm -hmm. I really love though earlier like how you're talking about the obsession thing it's like this is what I think so many people get wrong is like they hate on workaholics but like you know most workaholics are workaholics because they love what they do and it's like it's not work to them you know like my my the boys in my family are super obsessed like I don't know where it comes from but all of us are like super tech obsessed like I have a brother who does planes all day another brother who codes all day me code all day and it's like you know we all have our like obsessions that we just dive into and we throw ourselves into and it's like you look at like people like elon musk it's like it's the obsession and it's like that's what really like makes that difference for them and so like 
would you say that you um do you have anything like super specific that you obsess over is it the real estate or is it like code or what is that for you since i've graduated college 21 years old there's been and it's a little vague which i don't generally like i generally really dislike vague goals however i've had a goal to become my version of successful and what, i never really knew what that looked like and for me I have a vision of what it might look like that being, I do like exotic sports cars. I kind of like the idea of it. So like owning an exotic sports car, beach house in Southern California, I've had that vision. I didn't know exactly how to reach that. And so um, what was the exact question again? Um, just like what you thought um, was like really a big obsession for you as in oh, like gotcha. code or real estate. Or gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So I've been obsessed with the idea of success and I've been very, I, I didn't really care about the method to get there. You know, whether it is coding or YouTube or real estate. And that's why, like, if I sense something isn't working, like with all my old YouTube videos, I can pivot in a heartbeat because it's the end goal that I'm after, not so much the means with which I get there, if that makes that's sense. That's actually really interesting. So you, you said that, you know, you don't care how you get successful, any means, right? So is, do you think that's, so, that's the sort of mindset gurus have when they sell these scammy courses online? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, it's like, think about it. if you were to drive to Phoenix, Arizona, if your goal is to get to Phoenix, Arizona, if I told you you had to drive a Ford or a Tesla, I mean, you might prefer one or the other, but really the goal is to get to Phoenix. So if the Ford gets you there, you're going to take it. Yeah, I think what's happening is with the internet and the scalability of this internet marketing niche, it is incredibly profitable. I mean, when in human history, could you take someone who didn't graduate high school or college, not that educated, not that great necessarily at something. And before you know it, they're making 50 grand a month, hundred grand a month, $3 million a year. We've never seen that before, but now with internet marketing, if you are charismatic, if you know how to use some type of gray area persuasion, <laughs> all you need is, a, is to hire a, a good Facebook ads expert or YouTube ads expert, add in a little credibility, a few testimonials from, maybe paid friends or paid clients. And before you know it, you might be making 10 grand a month, hundred grand a month. And so this cash grab that we've seen, you know, unfortunately in America, there's just, there, with there being so many people, you're going to have 0.1% are greedy to the point of not giving a crap about how they make their money. And I think that's what we're seeing. And we're, you know, unfortunately there's only a handful of people, but they're really loud. And they're part of that 0.1% of people that just don't care. Right. It's effectively a land grab, you know, it's like it the internet's just a bunch of land and everybody's just like, I'm going to take this and this and this, and you've got real estate everywhere. And it's just like, you know, people should think of it more that way. And it always makes me laugh when you get parents who will diss on their kids for being on social media too much and be like, you can't make a living off of social media. And it's like today you could, like you, there are lots of people that do. And it's like in the next like 10 years, you'll have people that are making a living off of playing video games as the esports stuff really ramps up. And so it's like, you know, technology is shifting everything. And it always makes me laugh when you get parents or people in the older generations who will diss on kids our age and be like, you don't know anything about the, how the world works. And it's like, the world's changed so much that neither do you. It's like, nobody yeah, knows what I they're was, doing. I actually wonder if this, if what we're experiencing right now is the biggest disconnect between children in their teens and twenties and their parents with the way the world really is. Like, before you might have some changes, you know, in this, I, I wasn't around in 60s, 70s, 80s. I'm sure there were some changes where you had the teenagers that looked at their parents. You don't know me, but really the same, the same lifestyle. Hell, you, you worked hard, you worked at the same company, 
you worked on one skill for 30 years and then you hopefully retired with a pension or social security or whatever. But nowadays I don't, I'm strongly considering not sending my kids to college. Like if I, if I were to have kids now, like I wouldn't plan on them ever going to college, but that's such a foreign concept, but that's not necessarily wrong. Like you guys are both in programming as am I, like, why would you send your kid to college if, if you have the means to buy them coding books in high school, or you can teach them computer science concepts in high school, instead of sending them for four years, you could teach them for four years, or you could give them a boot camp. I had a great experience with boot camp, which is 12 weeks, right? There's so Mm -hmm. many different options that you can learn a extremely valuable skill set, have an extremely lucrative career, do it ethically, have a great life for you and your family, and not have to follow in any way the footsteps of your parents. Yeah, I 100% feel that. I actually had the exact same conversation with my parents because you know, I tell myself how to code in high school and I was interning in high school. And so I was just like, you know, I don't need to go to college and be a programmer. I like, I know a lot of this stuff and like already, and it's like a boot camp would be way faster and way cheaper. And so it'd be so much smarter, but like, you know, I had five older siblings and they're so set on the idea of college. Obviously I control my life and it is ultimately my decision, but it's just like, it frustrates me because like so many kids get forced into going to college when I really do think so much of it is worthless nowadays. And it's like, you know, humans we don't need to do all of these things like you know i'm i'm studying programming stuff and in my first year of college i had psychology history and physics none of those are like even remotely related to programming in any way shape or form and so it's like why am i spending tons of money and time like focusing on learning these things that are completely irrelevant like one of the greatest evils in my mind of modern day society is learning just to learn you know because like people are like it's good to know this and it's like yeah well it'd be good to know every language on planet earth but it'd also be pretty pointless and so it's like Mm -hmm. you know if we would let kids specialize and i think it's funny because technology has changed so much that like you said it's like there are everything's going to the extremes now. You've got a lot of kids who that I've seen now because I'm trying to connect with as many as I can who are like super ultra ambitious, you know, kids like Kevin and I who want to change the world, very confident in like where we can go. And then you've got kids who social media has magnified their insecurities and so they don't do anything very insecure and they just sit around. And so it's like you're getting all of these disconnects in like every area of society. And it's funny because the education system hasn't changed with the times at all. And it's like, they're always advertising. We, we teach you how to think, but it's like, if that was true, then why are all of the methodologies that we use in the education system going against everything that they teach in psychology on how humans learn? It makes no sense to me. I think the next biggest shift is online education where we get to choose what we want to learn online. I agree. I think, and it's also, it's like, you got to teach people accountability and it's like, and so you can't blame your teachers. It's if you don't do well, it's like, that's your fault. And so I think if you can get more into the online education and like people actually having to take initiative on, you know, building their own future, I'd be very interested to see like what that kind of future would look like. I'm all for it. That's yeah, actually, I, you said something about bullet. You, you can keep talking. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. So Andrew said, you know, blame, right? So I think, so my question is who should take the blame when you buy a fake guru course, right? Because in my mind, you know, if I buy a fake guru course and I get scammed, um, I think it's my fault for being global enough to buy it in the first place. And I think this is just the right mindset to have in life. Um, never displace blame on anyone else. And the fact is, you know, if it, if something happens to you, like, you must have played a role in it somehow. And I think it's best to deconstruct the errors that you made during that process and 
don't make them that time. And I, and I know I'm like speaking from like a very privileged position, I think, because if someone who doesn't have any money at all spent all their money buying a scammy course, like I can definitely feel empathy for them. But um, I just think it's ultimately my fault. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Sure. That's a very good question. And it's something that um, should be brought up. I think it, we can have both. So if you think about the road system, we should all be responsible for our driving behavior. But at the same time, we have speed limits. We have cops that sometimes routinely check for drunk drivers, right? I think you can have both. And I'm 100% from a personal level. I do like the concept of everyone being responsible for your actions. And I think this should be preached, the Jocko Willink philosophy. However, you still need a regulatory body. And here's why. There are very manipulative and persuasive sales techniques that just work on humans because we're all vulnerable. Even the smartest of us, we're engineers. You know, uh, I don't know you guys that well, but you know, I'd imagine you, you can, your, your purchase behavior is similar to mine. Like you're difficult to con, but that yes. doesn't mean you can't be scammed either. And even me, the guy who's kind of promoting myself as the guy that can kind of take down these gurus and their sales techniques, I can be scammed as well. And that's why you need a regulatory body that can kind of sit outside, take the emotions out of the sales process and see it from an outside perspective. And that's why I think you need both. And um, I think it'd be really good for the industry to have a, a regulatory body that analyze this more because it's, it's not fair for the FTC or someone to look at someone and go, you know, you only have $2,000, you shouldn't spend it on that course. That would not be my intention, but it would be, let's make sure the sales techniques are ethical. Look at the food industry. If you look at the food health industry, the supplement industry over the past 40 years, there's a reason why there's huge regulations because companies are out to make money. If you take a greedy person, if you can't shut down that person, that energy that they have to go make money at all costs, they're going to create a company that has the same ethos, which is make money at all costs. And if I can, if I can artificially create a chicken for $3 <laughs> and um, pump out and, and, and hypothetically like 3d print chickens for $3 or something and sell the chicken for 10, right? It's a terrible product. But if there's no regulatory body saying this is unethical, this is not real meat, the consumers are going to buy it because they trust the store and the store trusts the supplier and the supplier trusts the, the distributor and the distributor trusts the farmer. You know what I mean? And you have all this inherent trust. And so I think that's why you need that extra person to come in and really analyze and create regulations. Mm -hmm. really I 100% agree. Yeah, it is interesting because like you see a lot of regulation on um, just like things in general and like the economy and whatever. And uh, I do think, especially with the education system that like, you know, I agree with there definitely needs to be regulation in certain areas, but I think in a lot of areas, we also by doing that take away competition. So like if you look at the education system, there's no competition between anyone. And so, you know, you get bad teachers because, you know, I'm not competing with anyone, so I don't really need to try to be good or anything. And so, you know, I've seen teachers who just don't do anything. I literally had an English teacher where we sat in class on our phones the whole time, didn't learn a single thing. Granted, I think English is a completely pointless class most of the time if you're just getting up to the levels where you're reading all the time because it's just... I diss on reading a lot anyway, but it's just like, it's not reading. It's, it's not really, it's, it's, it's consuming more information than you're actually taking action on. And yeah. forced reading. It's forced yeah, reading. Exactly. Which it's like, of course, no one, no one learns that way, which is, it blows my mind that people haven't picked up on this, but, but yeah, continue. Yeah. yeah, I agree. It's like, I, in my mind, it's like, you know, the best way to teach people is to take action on things. So I don't know if you've heard of Don Wetrick and the Started App Foundation, but like they, they did a program where they implemented like an hour long class in schools where you would have some time to just do whatever you wanted. 
Um, and after a few years of that, he had kids who started companies. They were on the front cover of Forbes. He had um, kids building houses in Africa. He had four patents filed. And it's just like, if you promote these kinds of behaviors, like these kids are going to do insane things. And it's just like, you know, I agree that like, you don't necessarily have to have your life figured out by like 18 or something, but you've had 18 fucking years to figure some parts of your life out and have like a general idea of what you want to do or to explore things. But it's like most kids when they're younger, they just waste their whole lives away playing video games or just like, I do think social media is beneficial, but only if you use it in the right way. And so they use it like nonstop in very poor ways. And so it's like, I think if we change the education system to like, you know promote people to like actually build stuff and take action and start companies like imagine a world where everybody started a company or like almost everybody started a company like by the end of high school like obviously not everyone can be entrepreneurs but like you would give people these skills to actually go out and delegate things and like you know real world experience that people don't get nowadays because instead we're like we're going to send you to college for four years to learn how to make a business even though at the end of those four years you've forgotten everything you learned already anyway and so it's kind of kind of pointless but like i don't know it's kind of my thoughts on that <laughs> nice little rant yes. yeah i completely agree yeah. like if if you're an educator i don't understand why you aren't looking into the psychology of how humans learn i had a class mm -hmm. in high school where it was economics or something we actually had a little there was a an application online where you can basically mimic the stock market with fake money and like mm -hmm. what better what better way to teach people which we did. We had a, a, a competition in the class. Here's hundred grand fake money. Everyone starts go and figure out how to analyze companies and who, you know, who has the most money after 30 days wins. Yeah. We did that for a uh, middle school as well. Marketwatch.com. Mm -hmm. Super cool. Super interesting. Yeah. So let's, um, yeah. So do you have any tips on being more efficient during the day? Uh, I wish I did. Then I could follow them. <laughs> I've been, yeah, it's weird. I think, Let's talk about I, I struggle with a lot of the like motivation stuff. I, I think a lot of our behavior is driven by hormones and our emotions of which I don't think we have that much control over. And so as much as I like to think that we could sit and watch a, a 15 minute Elon Musk motivation video on YouTube, I think a, a better way to analyze, like if you feel like you aren't being efficient, I think it's better to actually like hip, hypnotherapy. I don't know what the word is, but like try to therapize, therapize, I don't know, I'm coming up with words. Yeah. Anyway, do, do therapy on yourself to try to figure out like why, why you're, you feel like the need to sit on your phone versus reading or uh, writing, writing a new function in whatever code you're writing. Uh, I think that's a better way to analyze because efficiency comes naturally if you're motivated, like internally motivated and you don't have anything blocking you. And so I've been struggling with that lately, actually. It's like, I've, I haven't been quite pursuing, like, I love the ethos of like working hard, Gary V, that whole thing, but I've been finding myself spending more and more time not working, like distracted, and I can't figure it out why. I'm trying to figure it out like internally, which mm -hmm. I think is where I the root problem is. It's not that I lack motivation, it's that there's something in my emotions right now that's just a little out of whack. Mm -hmm. I really think a lot of it is like habits. At least that's what I've kind of seen from myself is like, you know, there, there will be times where maybe your family's like watching TV or something and you sit down, you're just like talking to them and you just like look at the TV and it's like, you have that split second of knowing I need to get up and go start doing what I need to go. I need to go work out. I need to go, you know, start working on something. I need to study, et cetera. And it's like, you have that split second of realizing that and like that choice right there defines everything because you either a binary tree, essentially. Yeah, I think so. And it's like, you know, I always say so many times we get to these parts in life 
where we know what we need to be doing and we just choose not to do them. And it's like, I think if you just get into the habit of like, every time you feel that moment, you're just like, nope, I need to go up and get, I need to get something done. I need to just like be productive. Uh, and like maybe you time block that like a, an hour or something of like this every day, I'm just going to sit down. I'm just not going to do anything. It's going to like play video games for an hour or something. Like I think really yeah, that's, that's what I'll habits. say. Like you have to make a schedule. If you make a schedule, it's so obvious what you need to do next. And the reason why, like, like you're watching TV and you want to do something else. Like there's, there's a lot of willpower involved in switching tasks from something like high dopamine to low dopamine. And when you have, you know, your day scheduled out in time blocks, it's pretty clear what you, what you need to do next. And that takes little to no, um, willpower to actually move on to the next activity you need to do just yeah that's a good way of putting it what's tough for me though is because i'm basically full-time youtuber now it's very creative adventure Mm -hmm. and i don't think time blocking works with creativity because creativity sometimes is sparked like when i'm sitting on the toilet or taking a shower like today i had like a great idea in the shower it's like oh my god that i need to i need to go with this but i if i was time blocked i'd be like oh you know now is the time to read the book um, yeah, so that's, no, that's what I'm challenged thing. with is, yeah. it's like, and same thing with programming. Like I, I, I just do not believe that you can program for 16 hours a day. Like you no. might be able to do like an hour, or 90 minutes, and then you need 60 minutes of a walk, go to eat some food, socialize. And that's why yeah. I, I think it's, if you time block yourself, you might cut yourself off. Like sometimes it's that last 30 minutes where you're in the zone, you just stick with it. Yeah. It's, well, it's, it's flexible. Like if you have inspiration, just ignore all your time blocks and just go with their inspiration and then yeah. resume your time blocks. It's like a like flexible should, time blocks. Yeah. Time block. You, yeah. Yeah. You should probably read deep work by um, Cal Newport. It's a really good book. Talks about um, time blocking. This one. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so you have it. It's a good book. I, I feel so blessed out because like, I don't read personal development books ever. And so all these people talk about these books. I was like, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> well, some of them yeah. are good. Some of them are bad. Like what kind yeah. of books do you think are worth your money? Spencer? The best ROI is psychology. Hundred percent. I agree. Hundred percent. Uh, I've been getting into NLP lately, and I think it, it just it works for everything. Like once you understand humans, you can understand their behavior more. You can communicate better with them. I think it's the highest ROI of any books. I, honestly, I'm not that huge of a fan of just reading to read. You guys touched on it a little earlier. Yeah. I like to call it mental masturbation. <laughs> this, this happens. This happens in the real estate community when you have a beginner uh, to go from zero deals to your first deal, like buying a house. It's like a. It's a huge leap. Zero to one is significantly harder than one to two, and so on and so yeah. forth. And what a lot of people get stuck in is they read a book and they're like, "Okay, I get it. You know, I like the ideal real estate investing, but but it's another book is when I when I'll get the secret. You know, and then you go read the next book and you're like, yeah. I'm still I'm still that one piece of information away, and you get in this loop where all you do is you're always looking for the next bit of information and you find yourself reading and reading and reading, but it's the action that gets you there. Not the, not the books. Mm -hmm. This is why it's like, this kind of goes into like the guru thing that we're talking about is like, you know, you got all these people preaching these pieces of advice out there and like these other people who don't question, take it as, you know, it must be truth. And then they, you know, you have people who are like, I'm going to read a hundred books a year. And I'm just like, you know how much time you're wasting? If you're not applying any of that, that is completely pointless. Like, I'm sorry, you aren't just going to be magically smarter from like reading a ton like you have to actually learn and intake knowledge and it's like you know in a capitalist society like we have you only gain money by providing value to others like that is money it is the transfer of value and so like yeah i'm gonna cut you off dude. helping yourself i'm gonna, I'm gonna yeah. cut you off bro we have like less than a minute um yeah <laughs> we, we wrap this podcast episode up but last question coffee tea or soda spencer neither neither Just i've water. never had a cup of coffee 
I, I mean, I could have green tea every now and then, and I haven't had soda in 10 years. I had, okay. I had Sprite the other day, and I nearly threw up. It was so gross. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. That's cool. All right, then. Thank you guys for watching this episode, and we'll see you guys next time. Tell your friends, y'all. Thanks, man. <laughs> yeah. Yep.